Section 9 of On Christian Doctrine. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Nancy Beth Leary. On Christian Doctrine by Augustine of Hippo. Translated by J. F. Shaw. Section 9, Book 2. Chapter 25. In human institutions, which are not superstitious, there are some things superfluous and some convenient and necessary. But when all these have been cut away and rooted out in the mind of the Christian, we must then look at human institutions which are not superstitious, that is, such as are not set up in association with devils, but by men in association with one another. For all arrangements that are in force among men, because they have agreed among themselves that they should be in force, are human institutions. And of these, some are matters of superfluity and luxury, some of convenience and necessity. For if those signs which the actors make in dancing were of force by nature, and not by the arrangement and agreement of men, the public crier would not, in former times, have announced to the people of Carthage, while the pantomime was dancing, what it was he meant to express, a thing still remembered by many old men from whom we have frequently heard it. And we may well believe this, because even now, if anyone who is unaccustomed to such follies goes into the theatre, unless someone tells him what these movements mean, he will give his whole attention to them in vain yet all men aim at a certain degree of likeness in their choice of signs that the signs may as far as possible be like the things they signify but because one thing may resemble another in many ways such signs are not always of the same significance among men except when they have mutually agreed upon them but in regard to pictures and statues and other works of this kind which are intended as representations of things nobody makes a mistake especially if they are executed by skilled artists but every one as soon as he sees the likenesses recognizes the things they are likenesses of and this whole class are to be reckoned among the superfluous devices of men unless when it is a matter of importance to inquire in regard to any of them for what reason where when and by whose authority it was made finally the thousands of fables and fictions in whose lies men take delight are human devices, and nothing is to be considered more peculiarly man's own and derived from himself than anything that is false and lying. Among the convenient and necessary arrangements of men with men are to be reckoned whatever differences they choose to make in bodily dress and ornament for the purpose of distinguishing sex or rank and the countless varieties of signs without which human intercourse either could not be carried on at all or would be carried on at great inconvenience and the arrangements as to weights and measures and the stamping and weighing of coins which are peculiar to each state and people and other things of the same kind now these if they were not devices of men would not be different in different nations and could not be changed among particular nations at the discretion of their respective sovereigns this whole class of human arrangements which are of convenience for the necessary intercourse of life the christian is not by any means to neglect but on the contrary should pay a sufficient degree of attention to them and keep them in memory
Chapter 26 What Human Contrivances We Are to Adopt and What We Are to Avoid For certain institutions of men are, in a sort of way, representations and likenesses of natural objects, and of these such as have relation to fellowship with devils must, as has been said, be utterly rejected and held in detestation. Those, on the other hand, which relate to the mutual intercourse of men are, so far as they are not matters of luxury and superfluity, to be adopted, especially the forms of the letters which are necessary for reading, and the various languages as far as is required, a matter I have spoken of above. To this class also belong shorthand characters, those who are acquainted with which are called shorthand writers. All these are useful, and there is nothing unlawful in learning them, nor do they involve us in superstition or enervate us by luxury if they only occupy our minds so far as not to stand in the way of more important objects to which they ought to be subservient chapter twenty seven some departments of knowledge not of mere human invention aid us in interpreting scripture but coming to the next point we are not to reckon among human institutions those things which men have handed down to us not as arrangements of their own but as the result of investigation into the occurrences of the past and into the arrangements of god's providence and of these some pertain to the bodily senses some to the intellect those which are reached by the bodily senses we either believe on testimony or perceive when they are pointed out to us or infer from experience Chapter 28. To what extent history is an aid? Anything, then, that we learn from history about the chronology of past times assists us very much in understanding the Scriptures, even if it be learnt without the pale of the Church as a matter of childish instruction. For we frequently seek information about a variety of matters by use of the Olympiads and the names of the consuls, and ignorance of the consulship in which our Lord was born and that in which he suffered has led some into the error of supposing that he was forty-six years of age when he suffered that being the number of years he was told by the jews the temple which he took as a symbol of his body was in building now we know on the authority of the evangelist that he was about thirty years of age when he was baptized but the number of years he lived afterwards although by putting his actions together we can make it out yet that no shadow of doubt might arise from another source can be ascertained more clearly and more certainly from a comparison of profane history with the gospel it will still be evident however that it was not without a purpose it was said that the temple was forty and six years in building so that as this cannot be referred to our lord's age it may be referred to the more secret formation of the body which for our sakes the only begotten Son of God, by whom all things were made, condescended to put on. As to the utility of history, moreover, passing over the Greeks, what a great question our own Ambrose has set at rest! For when the readers and admirers of Plato dared calumniously to assert that our Lord Jesus Christ learnt all those sayings of his which they are compelled to admire and praise, from the books of plato because they urged it cannot be denied that plato lived long before the coming of our lord did not the illustrious bishop 
when by his investigations into profane history he had discovered that plato made a journey into egypt at the time when jeremiah the prophet was there show that it is much more likely that plato was through jeremiah's means initiated into our literature so as to be able to teach and write those views of his which are so justly praised for not even pythagoras himself from whose successors these men assert plato learnt theology lived at a date prior to the books of that hebrew race among whom the worship of one god sprang up and of whom as concerning the flesh our lord came and thus when we reflect upon the dates it becomes much more probable that those philosophers learnt whatever they said that was good and true from our literature than that the lord jesus christ learnt from the writings of plato a thing which it is the height of folly to believe and even when in the course of an historical narrative former institutions of man are described the history itself is not to be reckoned among human institutions because things that are past and gone and cannot be undone are to be reckoned as belonging to the course of time of which god is the author and governor for it is one thing to tell what has been done another to show what ought to be done history narrates what has been done faithfully and with advantage but the books of the haruspices and all writings of the same kind aim at teaching what ought to be done or observed using the boldness of an adviser not the fidelity of a narrator chapter twenty nine to what extent natural science is an exegetical aid there is also a species of narrative resembling description in which not a past but an existing state of things is made known to those who are ignorant of it to this species belongs all that has been written about the situation of places and the nature of animals trees herbs stones and other bodies and of this species i have treated above and have shown that this kind of knowledge is serviceable in solving the difficulties of scripture not that these objects are to be used conformably to certain signs as nostrums or the instruments of superstition for that kind of knowledge i have already set aside as distinct from the lawful and free kind now spoken of for it is one thing to say if you bruise down this herb and drink it it will remove the pain from your stomach and another to say if you hang this herb round your neck it will remove the pain from your stomach in the former case the wholesome mixture is approved of in the latter the superstitious charm is condemned although indeed where incantations and invocations and marks are not used it is frequently doubtful whether the thing that is tied or fixed in any way to the body to cure it acts by a natural virtue in which case it may be freely used or acts by a sort of charm in which case it becomes the christian to avoid it the more carefully the more efficacious it may seem to be but when the reason why a thing is of virtue does not appear the intention with which it is used is of great importance at least in healing or in tempering bodies whether in medicine or in agriculture the knowledge of the stars again is not a matter of narration but of description very few of these however are mentioned in scripture and as the course of the moon which is regularly employed in reference to celebrating the anniversary of our lord's passion is known to most people 
soul, the rising and setting and other movements of the rest of the heavenly bodies, are thoroughly known to very few, and this knowledge, although in itself it involves no superstition, renders very little, indeed almost no assistance, in the interpretation of holy scripture, and by engaging the attention unprofitably is a hindrance, rather and as it is closely related to the very pernicious error of the diviners of the fates it is more convenient and becoming to neglect it it involves moreover in addition to a description of the present state of things something like a narrative of the past also because one may go back from the present position and motion of the stars and trace by rule their past movements it involves also regular anticipations of the future not in the way of forebodings and omens but by way of sure calculation not with the design of drawing any information from them as to our own acts and fates in the absurd fashion of the genethliaki but only as to the motions of the heavenly bodies themselves for as the man who computes the moon's age can tell when he has found out her age to-day what her age was any number of years ago or what will be her age any number of years hence in just the same way men who are skilled in such computations are accustomed to answer like questions about every one of the heavenly bodies and i have stated what my views are about all this knowledge so far as regards its utility chapter thirty what the mechanical arts contribute to exegetics further as to the remaining arts whether those by which something is made which when the effort of the workman is over remains as a result of his work as for example a house a bench a dish and other things of that kind or those which so to speak assist god in his operations as medicine and agriculture and navigation or those whose sole result is an action as dancing and racing and wrestling in all these arts experience teaches us to infer the future from the past for no man who is skilled in any of these arts moves his limbs in any operation without connecting the memory of the past with the expectation of the future now of these arts a very superficial and cursory knowledge is to be acquired not with a view to practising them unless some duty compel us a matter on which i do not touch at present but with a view to forming a judgment about them that we may not be wholly ignorant of what scripture means to convey when it employs figures of speech derived from these arts chapter thirty one use of dialectics of fallacies there remain those branches of knowledge which pertain not to the bodily senses but to the intellect among which the science of reasoning and that of number are the chief the science of reasoning is of very great service in searching into and unravelling all sorts of questions that come up in scripture only in the use of it we must guard against the love of wrangling and the childish vanity of entrapping an adversary for there are many of what are called sophisms inferences in reasoning that are false and yet so close an imitation of the true as to deceive not only dull people but clever men too when they are not on their guard for example one man lays before another with whom he is talking the proposition what i am you are not the other assents for the proposition is in part true the one man being cunning and the other simple then the first speaker adds i am a man and when the other has given his assent to this also 
the first draws his conclusion then you are not a man now of this sort of ensnaring arguments scripture as i judge expresses detestation in that place where it is said there is one that showeth wisdom in words and is hated although indeed a style of speech which is not intended to entrap but only aims at verbal ornamentation more than is consistent with seriousness of purpose is also called sophistical there are also valid processes of reasoning which lead to false conclusions by following out to its logical consequences the error of the man with whom one is arguing and these conclusions are sometimes drawn by a good and learned man with the object of making the person from whose error these consequences result feel ashamed of them and of thus leading him to give up his error when he finds that if he wishes to retain his old opinion he must of necessity also hold other opinions which he condemns for example the apostle did not draw true conclusions when he said then is christ not risen and again then is our preaching vain and your faith is also vain and further on drew other inferences which are all utterly false for christ has risen the preaching of those who declared this fact was not in vain nor was their faith in vain who had believed it but all these false inferences followed legitimately from the opinion of those who said that there is no resurrection of the dead these inferences then being repudiated as false it follows that since they would be true if the dead rise not there will be a resurrection of the dead as then valid conclusions may be drawn not only from true but from false propositions the laws of valid reasoning may easily be learnt in the schools outside the pale of the church but the truth of propositions must be inquired into in the sacred books of the church. End of section 9